0: Last week, David, or I guess three weeks ago, David shared with y'all, um, about the, the blessings, you know, blessed are those that are poor, um, and, uh, that are peacemakers and all of these different things. And, and then, uh, the woes to those, um, on the opposite end of that. And this week, we're gonna look at the idea of loving our enemies um, and uh, doing good to those who hate you. And when I saw that this was the passage we were on, I literally called David on Monday morning before he left, and I was like, do you want this? Can can I skip this? Do you want to take it? And he said, no, no, it's fine. You can have it. And really, I had to confess to him, I was like, I think I might screw it up, to be honest with you. Um, Because, like, and if I'm honest with you guys, I think that there are things that God wants to say to our community, specifically within this passage, that I don't have all of the grasp on. Um, and uh it's it's a it's a heavy and difficult passage and part of the reason Uh, that it's difficult is that in passages like this most of you uh, if you've been to church before even know a little bit about church uh, are familiar with these words of Jesus where he tells us to love our enemies and to do good and to give and to do all these things and and when you know a passage well or when you've heard a passage a lot of times it's kind of hard to take the words of Jesus seriously partly because familiarity often breeds ease right like you hear something again and again and again and again it just becomes less meaningful and then part of it is that Some of the things that Jesus says in this passage about what it means to be a disciple, sometimes it can be so overwhelming that you almost have to make it irrelevant. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you can be like, that is so hard that there's no way that he could really be asking me to do that. And and sometimes that's the struggle I have. Uh, when I look at these words with Jesus. But what I would ask you guys to do today is just is just to pray with me for a minute and that, that in our hearts that we would be able to gather that these words are both serious and they're also an expectation of those who will follow Jesus. And I'm going to seek to not take them lightly and I pray that you would too. So let's pray together. God, I thank you um, that you preserve your word for thousands of years, that people may forget what I have to say when they walk out the door, but that these words remain And God, we ask, God, that you would speak into our hearts the things that you want to say in a way that is both serious and also in a way, um, God, that by your spirit and by your strength that we might live differently. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm starting here in verse 27 uh, in chapter 6 of Luke, and you can, if you have a Bible, you can open it up and follow along. If not, the words are going to come up on the screen, and we're going to read all the way through verse 38. Verse 38. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And he's not talking about sinners like when he talks about that he came for sinners. He's talking about people that have no interest in following God uh, in this passage. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I was thinking about this passage this week, and one of the things that came to my mind is the parable of the sower, where it talks about the different kinds of soil and how it can become hard to receive the word of God. And so we're just going to look at a few different things in relation to this passage. And my hope is there will be the types of things that might break up hard soil in our hearts and then might also sort of remove the weeds that can keep us from, from really embracing What God wants for us out of this passage. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to look at some general information about this passage that can, if if we don't understand it, we can kind of get caught up in these weeds when it comes to this passage. A lot of times one of the reasons this passage is, it becomes almost irrelevant to us is because we get into these semantic debates or these theoretical debates about how does this apply. So I just want to cut some of those out really quick and if these aren't important to you, that's okay, but if they are important to you, maybe this will help some, and if it doesn't, just grab me afterwards, and and I'll be glad to talk to you. The first thing we need to understand to really grab this passage is that what Jesus is talking about here is individual principles and not government policy, right? A lot of times, like, some of us can get caught up in the sort of debate, the political debate about how, does, how do we do this or our government should do this or we should only vote for people that would choose this thing or, or vote this way because Jesus says we have to give everything away or that we, can't, we have to turn the other cheek or all these things. And it becomes this political argument rather than this individual argument. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's not trying to set up government policy. Jesus never intended to do that, right? You see that various times that Jesus didn't come to establish some sort of political party or, or political government or any, anything like that. What Jesus is doing is he's looking at individuals who say you want to follow me and he's saying this is the way that you should live as individuals and 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 part of the importance for that to know is that that's why as Christians like we don't have there's no Christian political party right like as much as some people would want us to believe that one way or another there is no Christian political party or or bent or like that and as Christians we we sort of seek the Lord to know how to how to vote and and he speaks to us uh, personally but there's not this big sort of theocratic government that some religions uh, would ask to set up. And so I, I, would, I would caution you from trying to turn this into an argument about that as opposed to looking at it as an individual. The second uh, thing is uh, that these are individual principles and they're not necessarily hard, fast rules. Particularly, I was thinking about the part at the end of this passage where it talks about judging and condemning and, and all of these things. A lot of times like you see this thrown around of like, well, you can't judge me because it says Judge not lest you be judged. And to think Jesus is talking about people dealing with people. He's not talking about issues necessarily. The Bible is pretty clear that we should pass good judgment on particular issues. And we should judge when certain things happen. Whether or not it is, it is bearing fruit from the Lord or, or not bearing fruit from the Lord. And so this isn't necessarily about not passing judgment on any sort of issue, but this is about how individuals approach individuals. Um, and also, like in, uh, sometimes you can kind of get in this place of like, well, if somebody is trying to kill my family, right? Like That's the theory I always hear from people, is what if somebody was trying to kill my family? I'm just supposed to let them? Again, Jesus is talking sort of principally to people as they are persecuted in the name of Jesus, how they are supposed to respond. He's not necessarily talking about um, issues of self-defense in a society like ours. And so I'd caution you uh, from getting into those ditches on this because it can, kind of, it can quickly turn into an irrelevant debate as opposed to looking at your own life and saying, God, how do I personally respond to these things? Because the truth is that these are radical positions that God wants us to take as believers. And they're not just mere exaggerations where Jesus is saying y'all should be really nice to each other. Um, and, and I think it's important to recognize that, is that Jesus is looking at a group of people and saying, there is a natural way to behave, that the world behaves, and I don't want you to behave that way. I'm doing something completely different. He's looking at them and he's saying, regular people act this way. You're supposed to be different than regular people. Naturally, this is how people act. With me, you're supposed to act supernaturally, that there should be a different that's being done. And so I would caution you to think to yourself, well, if this seems too challenging, it must not be. I must be misreading this. Because this should challenge all of us. It should challenge all of our natural understandings. It should absolutely challenge sort of the rules and the cultures that we live by. And Jesus does want us to take this seriously because these are intended for disciples of Jesus. These words are intended for disciples of Jesus. They're, They're nonsense otherwise. But, but for those that have experienced the, the life-changing grace and love of Jesus. He says, this is what I want you to do. I've given you a new identity. You see this buildup in Luke that David has talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks, this idea of God is giving us uh, these gifts and these talents and he's calling us beloved sons and daughters and, and all of these things before the fact. And now what Jesus is doing, these are the first commands of Jesus in the book of Luke. And what he's doing is he's saying, okay, so this is who you are, right? Those who thought that they were terrible sinners are, are loved by God and and called sons and daughters and and sons and daughters of the Most High. That is who you are. So because that is who you are, this is what you should do as disciples of Jesus. Um, You guys have seen David Eldridge talk about these things before. Uh, It's this idea that in discipleship we have high invitation and high challenge, right? A lot of you have seen this graph before. I know it's kind of small. I'm sorry uh, for that. But um, it's this idea of, of, of in the church as the people of God we should live, in the sort of upper right quadrant, right? Where we're living in the high invitation of God, which calls us sons and daughters of the Most High. Not because we earned it, not because we're awesome religious people, but because God gave us the invitation. But we should also live in this high challenge that says love your enemies and do good to those that would harm you and when we do that that's when we're living in discipleship and otherwise we're sort of living in these other places right like if we just say oh well God loves me God loves me God loves me and it doesn't change my life at all we just sort of live in what we call this cozy culture which is just this kind of I'm fat and happy right that sort of place and if we if we live in the low challenge and low invitation so we think God hates us and we think he has nothing to offer us in our lives we're just bored right and so most people a lot of people sit in church their whole life bored because they're stuck in that quadrant. And then if we live in that high challenge, which is I'm supposed to love my enemies, but we don't understand that God first loved us, that that's what God does, and that's how we do it, we're just stressed all the time, right? That's what the Pharisees did to people. Jesus said they just threw these loads and loads and loads of things on their back. But where God wants us to live is in this place where he says, you're sons and daughters of the Most High, and because you are that, I want you to live like this. Does that make sense? Not because you live like this, you become that. But because you are that, I want you to live like this. If I were going to summarize this section for you, I couldn't come up with a great summary, but this is what I would say it is. Because your life is defined by relationship with the God of radical love and grace, that's high invitation, it should be full of the same radical love and grace for other people. That's high challenge. That's what God's talking about in this passage, right, is both of those things. He's saying, listen, you have a great calling on your life. I'm inviting you into this place. You didn't earn it, but just because of me, you can have it. But what that high calling means is this action to live radically different in a way that would be impossible without my invitation. So so we're going to look at kind of two areas related to that. The first is what I call general application, general application, right? General application, which is I can't personally name my enemies. Like, so you read this passage, and and one of the reasons it becomes irrelevant to you is if you're like, well, I don't have any enemies, right? Like, some people would say that. Some people would be like, everybody likes me, and I like everybody. I'm just an easygoing guy. Right, like, or I'm passive aggressive, and so I make sure I don't have enemies because of that. They don't know they're my enemies, and I don't, and I don't admit that they're my enemies, or, or whatever it is. And you would say I don't have specific people, and so you read that passage, and you were like, I'm probably doing that because I don't hate anybody, right? That's what you would think, but unfortunately. That's not what God is saying in this passage. Instead, we've got to remember, God gives us this high invitation. What this passage is to us is a clarion call that God is on the offensive in the battle against evil, in the battle against hate in the battle against darkness. And he's saying to us, you are children of the Most High and I want us to step into a world that operates completely foreign to this and be actively on the offensive in loving, in doing good, in praying, right? All these are action words, right? Like they're not just sort of like passively sitting back and something comes your way. He's saying, no, no, no. You live in a world where you're going to encounter people that are harsh, that want to repay evil for evil instead of good and they're going to want to do all these things. And what I'm calling you to do is to live as the opposite. And what I would say to you is that this is the clearest route to an impactful and eternally meaningful life. I was thinking about you can name the people that you know have lived this way, right? You know the people because they're different. Right? I was thinking about Nelson Mandela. Right? They don't make movies about people that just respond to violence with violence, at least not good ones. Right? But if you look at these movies about this guy Nelson Mandela who was just hated and beaten and, and neglected and he steps out and he loves in this incredible way and it, and it changes things. Right? I was thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. and kind of the difference. Some, there's obviously more differences there, but one of the differences between he and Malcolm X, and one of the reasons why we have a whole day to kind of celebrate him is that his response to the violence that was being done to him because of his skin color was so radically different. Right? It was love, and it was forgiveness, and it was praying, and it was doing good. And that God says, I want you, I don't care if you can name your enemies or if you think you hold grudges or whatever. This is not what that is about at all. What this is about is not sort of being passive, but actively stepping out as people of love and forgiveness and saying, I'm going to live in a way completely different than the culture. I'm going to do what God does, which is I'm going to take environments and things that are ugly and terrible and broken, and I am going to be an active agent in turning them into beautiful and whole and peaceful, right? God takes the cross. This is so weird, right? Like the cross. We don't think about it this way. We wear crosses today. But in Jesus' day, to wear a cross would be like wearing an electric chair. Right? Like, I mean, that's what it would have been. But God took the cross, this ugly, terrible thing meant for death and destruction, and He turned it into life and beauty and freedom. And He says, That's what I want you to step in and do. This is a call to every one of us in here. And there aren't many examples of this. And so if you live as an example of this, you, you will be different. And in fact, I would say that as Christians, like we do a terrible job of this, right? Everybody in the world knows what we hate, don't they? They absolutely know it, right? Like if you do, I remember a few years ago there was this group that traveled around and they did this survey where they said, like, what are the top two things that you think about Christians? And they said, and like they just asked people around the country and the number one thing was they hate gay people and the number two thing was they're judgmental. That was what they knew about us. That was what the the average world knew about us. And I don't know where love fell, and I'm not trying to get into political debate, or what should we do with any of those things, like, or any of that at all. But what I'm saying is that, what's the first thing that people should see? Love, doing good, praying for those who would mean harm to us. It's this clarion call where God says, I want you on the offensive And a lot of times it's like, well, that's not fair. We're going to get walked over and we're going to get our rights taken away and blah, blah, blah and all of these things. But but God wants us to know that the highest position of strength you can take is to say, I will respond to God instead of to people. I will respond to God instead of to fear. Should we fight for freedom of religion and freedom of expression and all those things? Absolutely, but we should fight for them because God loves freedom, not because we're afraid or anxious, because God is fighting for us. And God says, I want you to be a part of that today. And I think for some of us in here, that's what God is saying to us in this passage. Is it's, It is, again, a clarion call to us to be part of what God is doing, to be part of something bigger than just being able to say, well, I don't really have any enemies or hold grudges. But to go to the other side of that, right? You guys have heard me talk about, I said, uh, I think it was last week on the birthdays, I said, I want to end this hazing thing. Um, in, our, in our local high school. And, and the big thing for me, is, the thing that God's convicted me of is not just to put an end to the bad, but to flip it around and to say that we would create an environment where the oldest students in our high school look at the youngest students in our high school and say, it's my job to love and care for you. And to not just be passive in, in eliminating the bad, but to be active agents in pursuing God's best. The second thing here is a specific application, and I think this is way harder. I think this is way harder. And and if you're going through something with this, I don't mean to make light of it at all. But this is for those of you who can personally name your enemy. And you knew it. The minute it was like, love your enemy, pray for the one that would abuse you, do good, you were like, uh uh-uh, I'm out. And this wall went over your heart. And you know who it is. And I said this at 930. I'm just going to stare at that exit sign so I don't make eye contact with anybody as I use these examples. But you know who it is. For some of you guys, it's an ex-spouse. Right, It's an ex-husband or a wife, and they became the enemy because of what they did or because of what they're doing. For some of you, it's a sibling, and you guys have been arguing and debating about money or about this thing, or they were supposed to do that, and they didn't do it. For some of you guys, it's a coworker or it's your boss, or it's your old boss, or it's somebody who you thought was your friend. And immediately when you read this passage, you shut down, and you said, I'm just going to have to go numb on this one and wait for next week because this is not for me. And that's why the passage became irrelevant to you. Because there is this high challenge that God is not going to let go of in your life. And it isn't because he thinks your enemy is awesome and you're wrong about them. It is because unforgiveness destroys you and not them. This isn't about God doesn't think what they did was wrong. This is about your destiny. And you being robbed of it. I'm going to skip up to that next slide and come back. Will you just go up to the next one really quick? There's this idea. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's called a Puric victory. Is anybody? I'd never heard of this before this week. Anybody? Well, not surprised. Well, not surprised at all, Charlene. Uh, but this thing, this this idea of a Puric victory. There was this guy uh, named Purus. He was uh, he was an emperor. I I printed it off because I knew I was going to mess it up. Um, and A Pyrrhic victory is a victory that inflicts such a devastating toll on the victor that it is tantamount to defeat. Someone who wins a Pyrrhic victory has been victorious in some way. However, the heavy toll negates any sense of achievement or profit. And it's where you get the idea of a hollow victory, it's where you get the idea of winning the battle. But losing the war, you guys have heard that before. And there was this guy, it was this king, Pyrrhus, who decided he was going to take on the Roman Empire. And so he goes on the offensive into Rome. And he actually wins this battle with Rome. But he takes so much devastation and he loses so many people in the victory. And, and, and he's sitting in Roman territory. And Rome has all these other soldiers they send in that ultimately there's no way he can actually win a war He sacrifices himself in a battle and loses everything ultimately in the war. And I think that that's what happens when we can't let, when we can't forgive and we can't love our enemies, is that we win this battle, right, this battle of you're wrong and I'm going to show you you're wrong and you're not going to take advantage of me and you're not going to take away from me and I'm not going to be made a fool of and I'm not going to be walked all over and all of these things and we think I'm winning this battle but in the end we are losing our our own hearts and souls. I heard somebody once say that to get back at someone by not forgiving them is like trying to kill a rat by drinking rat poison. Is that it destroys you. And and I really want you to know today if you're going through that, And I'm not making light of it, but I want you to know that you can look at this passage and you say, God, are you telling me I'm not supposed to care about what that person did to me? And what I would say to you is that God says, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying a couple of things. One thing he's saying is that you're fighting on the enemy's turf by the enemy's rules and you will ultimately lose that battle. And the second thing he's saying to you, Ephesians 6.12 says, there is a war that we are fighting, but it is not a war against flesh and blood. It is a war against darkness and principalities. And God does not want to waste your life on a battle with flesh and blood when there is a war to be had where he is going to defeat darkness and principalities. He doesn't want to waste you. So love your enemy and be a part of something bigger and better. And you're like, that all sounds well and good, but I can't love my enemy. And I want to go back to that last slide. Um, and we're going to talk about just some sort of practical things related to that. The first is that what Jesus talks about when he says, love your enemy is action, not emotion. And I want you to know that. Um, Jesus is not asking you to have good feelings about your enemies. He's not even necessarily, I don't, I don't think he's asking you to be around them all the time or to start a book club with them, or, or any of those things. I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing. He's very, very specific with what he's saying to do when he says, love your enemies, and this is what he says. He says, do good to them. Do good to them. He says, bless them and pray for them. And maybe you start with that last one, because that's the least amount of interaction You have to have with them. But there are steps you can take. God isn't asking you to feel good about what they did. He's not saying to make it okay. He's not even saying to put yourself in a position where people who have abused you in the past can abuse you again and again and again. What he's saying is do good, bless them, and pray for them. And I'll go even better than that. Um, This uh, past Thursday, I did something that is incredibly hard to do. I managed to lock both my keys and our backup pair of keys in my car together. And um, I know, it's impressive. You're like, I'm, I'm quitting listening to you right now. And um, and so I, I did the thing that you do, right, which is I got the coat hanger and I tried to get the thing. And it was just this, such an exercise in futility, right? I'm just wasting time knowing that I'm never going to hook it on that thing and, and pull it up. And even if I get it on, it slips off. And it's I mean, it was an hour of my life. And then the guy from AAA shows up and literally, I'm not kidding you, five seconds, pop, 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 knocked it out and got my keys and what would have taken me forever and I probably never would have accomplished the person with the right expertise and the right tools did in five seconds and I think what God wants you to know is that if this feels like too challenging for you to truly love your enemy whoever that name is that came up he would say yes you're in the right place would you please just give yourself to me would you get back on our turf would you come back home And let me do it. Jane and I are going through something right now where we're struggling to understand how do we love someone in our lives. And she was asking me, we were talking about this passage, and she was saying, how do you even do that? And I had to look at her and I had to say, I don't know. Maybe when you see them, you just immediately just think about God. That's all you do. You can't think about them. You just think about God. And you say, God, what do you want to do? And you just say it again and again and again until something happens. For some of you, that's that's what I would say God wants you to do today with that person, is just say, God, what do you want to do? 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 But the challenge for you is to listen to whatever God says. And the last thing is this, community helps. A lot of times when we have enemies, we don't want to talk about it, we kind of keep it in our hearts, and it gets mean and bitter, and we sort of have that self-talk, we're like, they're terrible. Yeah, they are terrible. They don't even deserve God's love. I deserve God's love. They don't deserve it. Right? And we get all this stuff within us because we're so close to the issue. And, and we don't want to share that ugliness or whatever with the community around us, but sometimes God gives us those people to pray and bless and do good for when we can't, and they can hold your arms up for you. And so share it with community. If that's you, if this is a specific issue for you today, um, I'd encourage you to share it with community, which kind of uh, leads us into our response. I'm going to ask Bo to come back up here. And I'm also going to ask if we have ministry elders that will pray. If you guys will go ahead and come up front, please. God looks at our lives, and he looks at us sort of falling for the way the world deals with evil and enemies and wrongs, and he says, you were made for more worthy pursuits. You were made for more worthy pursuits. God says, this this sort of eye for an eye, this repay your enemies with evil this always worry about yourself and and try to fight for yourself instead of instead of giving freely as you have been given he says it's 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 this ugliness attached that covers over this beautiful gift of grace that I've given you and what he wants to do is he wants to take us and, and bring beauty back into our own hearts and the places where we've lost it because of our enemies and he wants to bring beauty back into our actions in the world, that when they think of those that follow Jesus, that they would think the first thing is they love in a radically different way, in a way that I don't even understand. And I don't know that I would want to be like them, but, but I know that I would want that. And, and so uh, today, I would just encourage you, um, will you guys stand with us as we go back into worship? Go ahead and stand. Um, and, and these two responses specifically If if you feel like one of these speaks to you, I'd encourage you to come up and just pray with somebody about it. Allow them to be the community around you uh, that challenges you in this. The first is this idea of God giving you a high invitation. And you would say, I I don't necessarily know who my enemy is right now, but I want to be a radical example of love and grace. I want that. I want that in my community. I want that in my family. I want that in my workplace. I want that in my school. Whatever it is. And you would say, God, I want that. I want to be a part of something bigger than just looking and acting like the whole world acts when it comes to enemies and wrongs and giving and and all of these things. If that's you, we would love to pray for you. And then the second one, um, again, this is the harder one. I think this is the one where your heart is going to try to harden up on you, right? It's going to say, no, you can't ever forgive what they did was wrong. And I would tell you again that God agrees that what they did was wrong. But God also knows that if you stay in that hardened place, it's going to steal your own destiny from you, and he doesn't want that. And if that's you, I would really encourage you to, to just let us pray with you today about God healing the wounds, about God kind of bringing you back onto his ground and fighting for you. So I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to worship, and, and during that time, you can come forward if, if you need a prayer. Let's pray. God, we confess, God, the, the ones who do harm, the enemies, God, there's a lot of just ugliness that's been created in our own hearts and in our world and among your people because of these actions. And sometimes it just seems too big, God, it seems too overwhelming. I think each of us thinks of that one thing, like, what can I do if I'm the one person who does this? What difference is that going to make? If I if if I truly seek to love and do good to that person who did horrible things, what is that really going to do? God, I pray today that we would see what you can do with hearts given to you, given over to your love. God, I pray you would fill us to respond, because I confess we're like people with a coat hanger, trying to figure this out on our own. And God, as you live in and through us, Lord, I believe that we be a part of of transforming hearts in the world. So I ask that you would come and fill us. In Jesus' name, Amen.